You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org and follow us on Telegram to receive all of our updates. Today we will be listening to Chapter 4 of the audiobook for The Uniqueness of Israel by Lance Lambert, read by Matt Jamie. If you are interested in purchasing the full audiobook, I'll leave a link in the show notes. In this chapter, Lance speaks about the miraculous resilience of the Jewish people and how, even through their various dispersions and exiles, they are the only nation that remains throughout history. This chapter is entitled, All Things Are Mortal But the Jew. Let's listen. Part 2. The Uniqueness of the Nation And what one nation on earth is like thy people Israel? 2 Samuel 7, verse 23. Chapter 4. All things are mortal but the Jew. In the annals of world history, there is nothing to compare with the history of Israel and her remarkable survival. Her history began with one man, Abraham, to whom God appeared some 4,000 years ago, and it has continued to this day. The cord which links the whole into one continuous history has never been broken. The transformation of Abraham's family into a people while in Egypt, the moulding of a nation in the wilderness under Moses, and then the possession of the promised land under Joshua is one continuous story. The same unbroken cord runs from the beginning of the kingdom under David and Solomon, its division into Judah and Israel, on to the Babylonian exile and the return of the faithful remnant a generation later. It continues through the Maccabean period, with its glorious story of Jewish heroism and emancipation, and on through the occupation and oppression of the Roman period, forever linked with the birth and death and resurrection of the Messiah Jesus. We follow that unbroken cord beyond the fall and dispersion of the Jewish people in AD 70, and the destruction of Jerusalem and the Temple, and with it the loss of Jewish statehood, so clearly predicted by the Lord Jesus. That history continues through the Talmudic era, with its great rabbis and sages, and 1900 years of exile, right up to the recreation of the State of Israel in 1948. The story has many faces with many moods. Sometimes it is the story of bloody persecution and violent hatred, as in the period of the Crusaders in the 11th and 12th centuries, or of the Inquisition in the 15th and 16th centuries or of the pogroms in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, or the Nazi era of the 1930s and 40s. Sometimes it is the story of the mysticism and yearning of the Kabbalist era, 15th to 16th centuries, or the story of great piety and unabashed emotion, as in the Hasidic era, 18th century, or the story of deep learning and sacrificial good works, which emerged so often from a common experience of abject poverty. Sometimes it is the story of the fiery zeal and the patriotism of Zionism, the story of Zionist pioneers and Jewish freedom fighters prepared to pay with their lives for the ideal of a Jewish homeland. Her history covers the whole gamut of human life and experience, from the high peaks of divine vision and self-sacrifice to the deepest valleys of sinful iniquity and treacherous disobedience. At times, it is the story of living faith and selfless purity, of noble ideal and example, and at other times, it is the story of civil war, 
factional jealousies and inner dissension, of inter-rivalry and corruption in high places, of narrow-minded bigotry and blind prejudice. It reaches the heights in its record of devotion to God's word and purpose, and plumbs the depths in its record of the rejection and crucifixion of the Messiah. However the story is told, it is the story of one people, the Jewish people, and of one nation, Israel. The pages of that history are crowded with patriarchs and prophets, kings and sweet singers, reformers, pioneers and martyrs, sages and rabbis, statesmen and freedom fighters, the good and the bad, the saint and the sinner. Above all, at the very heart of that history, invisible at times but yet underlying the whole, is the story of the Messiah Jesus. Although not recognised or understood by many of the Jews, he is the key to Jewish history, the key to the fulfilment of its yearnings and aspirations, to its anguished sorrow and failure, and to its divine and irrevocable destiny. Furthermore, this history has not yet been completed. In 1948, Israel took the platform in world affairs and has remained there ever since. In war after war, battling against tremendous odds, this little nation has triumphed again and again. Its history is still being written. The most glorious chapters of its history are still in the future, but no matter what, they will be written, for the hand of God is in it. God has dealt with no nation as he has dealt with the Jewish people. In their 4,000-year-long history, they have been exiled from their land twice and have been restored to it twice. The first of these exiles we call the Babylonian captivity, and it began in 607 BC in the reign of Jehoiakim. It lasted 70 years. Technically, it was 70 years of captivity, but 50 years of actual national exile. In fact, during the first 20 years, only the royal family and certain aristocratic families were deported from the land to Babylon. It was in 587 BC, during the reign of King Zedekiah, that the whole nation was deported there, and only the poorest of the poor were left. The second exile commenced in AD 70, and was on a much larger scale than the first exile. The Romans slaughtered some 600,000 Jews at that time and enslaved some 300,000 more, deporting them all over the known world. No other nation in the history of mankind has twice been uprooted from its land, scattered to the ends of the earth and then brought back again to that same territory. If the first exile and restoration was remarkable, the second is miraculous. Israel has twice lost its statehood and its national sovereignty twice had its capital and hub of religious life destroyed, its towns and cities razed to the ground, its people deported and dispersed, and then twice had it all restored again. Furthermore, no other nation or ethnic group has been scattered to the four corners of the earth, and yet survived as an easily identifiable and recognisable group. The nation of Israel is comprised of some 87 different nationalities. From the Far East to the Far West, there is hardly a nation that has not had Jewish citizens within it. The remarkable fact is that the Jewish people have been able to survive as a people instead of being absorbed and assimilated into the large Gentile majorities among whom they were scattered. We must remember that we are not considering a period of one generation, or even one century, but nearly 2,000 years. In this long era, the Jewish people have remained the Jewish people. 
Benjamin Disraeli, 1804-1881, twice Prime Minister of Great Britain, referring to remarks about his Jewish ancestry, retorted, Sir, you are proud of your ancient descent, but in the veins of the meanest Jew there flows blood compared to which the blood of the proudest noble is ditch water. For when your ancestors were in a pagan tribe, mine were standing as priests in the temple of God. Quoted in Decision magazine. While absorbing much of the culture and ways of those nations among whom they lived, speaking their languages, taking their place as subjects or citizens in so far as they were allowed to do so, they have survived as Jews. No other ethnic group has the same story. For when we consider this long passage of time, the persecution the Jewish people have so often encountered, and the pressures upon them to surrender their identity and be absorbed into the nations among whom they were living at the time, and when we consider also the fact that they were a scattered people, not all concentrated in one area at the same time, we have to recognise that the survival of the Jewish people is without parallel. Many other peoples, much more powerful and influential in their day than the Jewish people, have long ago vanished. It is impossible today to identify Assyrians or Babylonians. They have disappeared among other nations and peoples. Even the Celtic peoples have remained recognisable to this day only because they migrated together as a tribe across the face of the earth. Originating somewhere between the Baltic and the Black Sea, they moved into Eastern and Central Europe and finally to the British Isles. Where they remained together in large numbers during their slow migration, they have survived. But where they were weak and more scattered, they have long since been absorbed by the native population. The Jewish people ought also to have disappeared, since they never moved together en masse, but in spite of being scattered throughout the earth, they have survived as a distinct and recognisable people. In 1899, Mark Twain wrote an essay which he entitled Concerning the Jews, and brought it to a remarkable conclusion. We must remember that this was long before the Balfour Declaration of 1917, let alone the recreation of the State of Israel in 1948. He wrote, If the statistics are right, the Jews constitute but 1% of the human race. It suggests a nebulous dim puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Way. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of, but he is heard of, has always been heard of. He is as prominent on the planet as any other people and his commercial importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine and abstruse learning are also way out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvellous fight in this world, in all the ages, and has done it with his hands tied behind him. He could be vain of himself and be excused for it. The Egyptian, the Babylonian and the Persian rose, filled the planet with sound and splendour, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise, and they are gone. Other peoples have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out and they sit in twilight now, or have vanished. The Jew saw them all beat them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, 
No slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? At about the same time, Leo Tolstoy wrote an essay in a similar vein, which he entitled, What is a Jew? In it he wrote, This question is not at all so odd as it seems. Let us see what peculiar kind of creature the Jew is, which all the rulers and all the nations have together and separately abused and molested, oppressed and persecuted, trampled and butchered, burned and hanged, and, in spite of all this, is yet alive. The Jew is the emblem of eternity, he whom neither slaughter nor torture of himself for years could destroy, he whom neither fire nor sword nor inquisition was able to wipe from off the face of the earth, he who was the first to produce the oracles of God, he who has been for so long a time the guardian of prophecy and who has transmitted it to the rest of the world. Such a nation cannot be destroyed. The Jew is everlasting as eternity itself. There can be only one answer to Mark Twain's question, what is the secret of his immortality? The secret of Jewish immortality is God himself. In the book of Malachi, God declares, For I the Lord change not, therefore ye, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Malachi 3 verse 6 a famous rabbi of the 12th century, Rabbi David Kimchi, commenting on this verse says, You were not consumed as were the other peoples who have left no trace behind and have ceased being nations. You have not disappeared, nor will you. You will always be distinguished from the others as a nation alone on earth. Even though you have been driven into exile and banished into every corner of the earth, your name has survived everywhere. The hurt that I have given you was in consequence of your sins. Just as I shall not change, so shall you not be consumed. And in the latter days you will regain your ascendancy and will be supreme over all the nations of the earth. I believe that the Lord Jesus was referring to this immortality of the Jewish people when he said, From the fig tree learn its lesson. Matthew 24 verse 32 the lesson we are to learn is surely not merely about the coming of summer, but concerns the Jewish people, their land, statehood and destiny. The fig tree, which the Lord judged the previous day, must have been very much in their minds when he said, From the fig tree learn its lesson. See Matthew 21 verse 19, Mark 11, 13-14 and 20-21. He used that fig tree as a parable. The events immediately before and after that incident relating to it were all connected with the Jewish leadership and establishment of the day. Together, they constitute the Lord's final confrontation with them. Somewhere on the upper slopes of the Mount of Olives, overlooking the temple and the city, Peter, James, John and Andrew came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? Matthew 24, verse 3. Compare with Mark 13, verses 3 to 4. He then gave them a bird's-eye view, as it were, of all that would happen, and summed it up with the words, From the fig tree learn its lesson. It would be remarkable if those disciples did not think immediately of the fig tree which the day before, and that very morning, had so gripped their attention. 
See chapter 10 of my book, Battle for Israel, for a fuller treatment of the fig tree. That Jesus thought of the fig tree as representing the Jewish people is shown by another parable. There was once a man who had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. He went looking for figs on it, but found none. So he said to his gardener, Look, for three years I have been coming here looking for figs on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it go on using up the soil? But the gardener answered, Leave it alone, sir, just one more year. I will dig round it and put in some manure. Then, if the tree bears figs next year, so much the better. If not, then you can have it cut down. Luke 13, verses 6 to 9. The Lord Jesus was clearly referring to himself and to the three years of his messianic ministry. He found no fruit among the people of God at that time, only a barren formalism. In the parable, a year of grace was given to the barren fig tree. In fact, between the death and resurrection of the Messiah, A.D. 30, and the judgment that fell upon the Jewish people, A.D. 70, a whole generation elapsed. It was a generation that was given every evidence to enable it to believe, but it remained barren, and therefore divine judgment was inevitable. Thus began the second and most terrible exile in Jewish history. The Messiah said, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Matthew 24 verse 32 The obvious lesson of the fig tree is that when we see the things coming to pass which he has enumerated in the preceding verses, we shall know that his coming is near. The profound lesson of the fig tree is that the Jewish people will still be there at the end of the age to witness the Messiah's return. Judged because of fruitlessness, the fig tree had withered from its roots and died. Yet at the end of the age, that same fig tree would be there, its branches tender and full of sap, full of leaf and the promise of fruit. In telling the disciples to learn the lesson of the fig tree, it was as if the Lord Jesus were warning them not to take the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, the termination of Jewish statehood and the scattering of the nation, as the end of the Jewish people. It would not be their end. It would be the beginning of a long era of anguish, suffering and persecution, such as that people had never known before. Yet they would miraculously survive and at the end the same fig tree would be there as at the beginning. But with this difference, instead of dying away, it would be in the full vigour of life. This lesson of the fig tree is underlined by what the Lord Jesus went on to say, as recorded in Matthew 24 verse 34. This generation shall not pass away till all these things be accomplished. The New American Standard Bible and the New International Version give an alternative rendering in the margin. This race will not pass away until all these things take place. The Greek word commonly translated generation in our English versions had a generalized and rather indefinite meaning. Primarily, it meant a begetting rather than that which is begotten. Then it came to mean a family and thus a generation, that is, people born at the same time. It also had the wider meaning of race, that is, people born of the same origin and possessing the same characteristics. The usual interpretations of this verse have always left me unsatisfied. 
One interpretation is that the words this generation refer to those who were alive at the time, the generation represented by Peter, James, John and Andrew. According to this view, Jesus meant that all the predictions he had made, including that of his coming again, would be fulfilled in the lifetime of that generation. I cannot accept the explanation that this gross error was due to the fact that his understanding was limited by his humanity. Such an explanation means that the Lord Jesus could be guilty of making wild, misleading and even stupid statements. I could never accept that. Neither does it help me to be told that I must look on the credit side and recognise that so much of what he predicted, as recorded in Matthew 24, Mark 13 and Luke 21, was fulfilled in AD 70, in the terrible events surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. The fact remains that what he prophesied was not exhaustively and accurately fulfilled in that year. It may have had its first fulfilment, but if that were the final fulfilment, then I would find it very difficult to trust the accuracy and reliability of the words of the Lord Jesus. If, as some suggest, he was wrong upon so fundamental a matter as his own return, Upon what other matters could he also be wrong? Another interpretation which has gained wide acceptance in many Christian circles is that the words this generation refer to that future generation during which the fig tree would burst into leaf. According to this view, the generation which would witness the fulfilment of the preceding predictions, in particular the recreation of the Jewish state, would live to see his return. There may be more to commend this view, but one wonders why our Lord spoke of this generation instead of the far more accurate that generation. If he had said that generation will not pass away, there could have been no doubt whatsoever as to his meaning. There may be some truth in both of these views, but do they adequately interpret the words of the Lord Jesus? It seems to me that the alternative rendering, this race will not pass away until all these things takes place, has much to commend it. The Lord may have deliberately used this word to cover all three interpretations, for the first fulfilment of much of what he predicted did come within the lifetime of that generation. And it may also be true that the generation which has witnessed the recreation of the Jewish state will witness his coming again. For me, however, the most satisfying interpretation is the third. The generation to whom he was speaking would witness the termination of the Jewish state and commonwealth, and the dispersion of the nation into the rest of the world. It would witness the destruction of Jerusalem, the capital of the state and the centre of its national life and aspirations. The temple, the hub and heart of the spiritual life of the Jewish people, would be raised to the ground before the eyes of that generation. Not one of its stones would remain upon another. All this would come to pass in the life of that generation, as in fact it did in AD 70. Yet they were not to draw any false conclusions. That race would not disappear, but would survive. Indeed, the Jewish people would do far more than survive. They would triumph. From all the nations into which God scattered them, they would be gathered back to the very land from which they had been dispersed. The Jewish state would rise again from the ashes and Jerusalem would once more become its capital. The Jewish people indeed have not only survived, they have survived with a vengeance. In thirty years, this little nation of three and a half million people has become the touchstone of world politics. 
Israel is debated in the United Nations and discussed in world capitals. Nearly every day it is mentioned in the news on the radio and television, or written about in newspapers. Giant planes of the Israeli national airline, El Al, fly the major routes of the world, bearing the Israeli national colours and with the national emblem, the Star of David, emblazoned on their tails. Forty years ago there was no Israel. Today no one is in doubt about her existence. The Lord Jesus had said to those disciples, From the fig tree learn its lesson. The fig tree, once barren, judged and dead from its roots, would still be there at the end, renewed from its roots with fresh vitality and the promise of fruit. To listen to the full audiobook for The Uniqueness of Israel, click the link in the show notes or visit www.lancelambert.org slash UOI audiobook. May you know the deep, deep love of the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus.